Peter the Apostle has written two letters. Some of you may recall that some period of time ago, I think it was probably about five and a half or six years ago, we looked together at the book of 1 Peter, his first letter. Um, and uh, that first letter deals much more with a, uh, of the pastoral aspect of the Christian life in the midst of the church. This letter is more of pays more attention to the end of all things and the end toward which we press because uh, as we will see in weeks to come, this letter was written, we believe, not too long before Peter's death. And he saw that his end of his days here on earth was coming to a close. And so this, this evening I'd like us to look at the first four verses, although I think we're just going to make it through the first two this evening. And so if you would please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray briefly for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, speak to us through Your word. Speak to us clearly, Lord. For often we are slow to listen, and we long to hear your voice and to hear what you will tell us. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I think one of the things that can be a challenge for us here in the church is to think about the Christian life and even conversion and think about the difference that it makes. Because after all, for many of us, especially if we've walked with the Lord for some period of time, it's it's hard to really remember the stark difference between not believing in Jesus Christ and believing on Him. What that does in our lives, to our habits. And the more that we are around others who have walked with the Lord for a great period of time, we begin to think that that is what is what happens. This is just what conversion is about. It's just people like us, and we forget the real change that occurs. And I think this letter here, as it opens up, is very instructive for us because if there was ever a man who was radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. And if there was a man who was ever radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Peter. 
And two of them changed in very different ways. Paul and his actions. But I think in some ways, Peter, in a more profound way, the gospel actually changed his desires. It changed his nature so that he became something that he once was not. So this evening, I'd like us to look briefly at the difference that the gospel makes, not just in Peter, but in you and in me as well. I'd like us to look briefly at three things. First, the difference in the messenger. The difference that the gospel makes in the messenger of the gospel here, specifically, Peter. Second, the difference in the message. The message of the gospel that comes forth, how it creates a difference. And then third, we will look at the difference maker. And that, of course is the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference in the messenger, the difference in the message, and the difference maker. Let's begin then by looking at the difference in the messenger. Peter begins this letter by describing who he is to the church. It's a short phrase, but there's a lot packed into it. He says, He is Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, of Jesus Christ. And there are two main things here that we see about who Peter is. We see first that he is a servant, and second that he is an apostle. Now what does this mean? For Peter to describe himself as a servant is to take on a title of humility. Do you think about Peter and think about the word slave? Slave sounds a bit more harsh than servant, doesn't it? I don't know if it does for you, but for me, the issue of the word servant conjures up for me almost a vision in my mind of a butler or a maid. Someone well-dressed, someone well-spoken, someone who, while they serve, are also in charge of certain things. When I use the word slave, however, it conjures up a completely different image, doesn't it? Someone who is not their own, who is not in charge, who is humble by the nature of their being. And this word here that we see in the Scriptures that is so often translated servant is best, I think, thought of in those contexts. A bond servant, a slave. Peter is a slave to Jesus Christ. He is one who is not in control of his own destiny. You recall the famous scene at the end of the Gospel of John in John chapter 21 where our Lord Jesus walks up to Peter and in the midst of the conversation He says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, Stop for a minute and think about who we are speaking of. One of the pillars of the church, one of the twelve apostles, the leader in some sense of that group of disciples. And here he is being described as one who is not in control of what he can wear or where he can go or even what he can eat. He is completely at the mercy of another. 
Now, as we think about that, I ask you to think about your own life. Do you long to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, do you do it on your own terms? Do you serve Jesus where you want to go? Do you do the things that you want to do? And hope and think that that's sufficient for Jesus. Or are you following after Him, trusting Him with all that you are to take you where He will take you? You see, this is a reminder here that when Jesus calls His servants to Himself, they are His. And Peter even points this out in the way that he names himself in the letter. Do you notice? He's Simon Peter. It's a reminder of the old days. A reminder of Simon, the son of Jonah, the one who made all the mistakes, the one who could never keep his foot out of his mouth, the one who betrayed his Lord. You see, Peter knows that it is not by his merit, it is not by his will that he has come to the place that he is now. He is a humble, lowly servant. But at the same time, when we think about the title servant, it is also a title of honor. It is a title of humility, but it is a title of honor. Because you see, Peter is also not only Simon, he is Peter. And of course, he gets that name because he is given it by our Lord. As our Lord Jesus Christ said to him, You shall be called Peter, for you are a rock. And Jesus Christ has chosen Peter as humble as he is, as bumbling as he is, to be his servant. He stands in the power of Jesus Christ. You see, there are very few titles at the same time in the Scriptures that carry as much honor as being a servant of the Lord. While it is humble, it is also a sign of the powerful work of the Lord in the life of Peter. He's not just a servant, however, though. He is also an apostle. Now, what does this mean? It means, first and foremost, that Peter, along with the other apostles, is one who is commissioned by our Lord Jesus Christ. He is a part of a very select group, and he has been chosen for a very select task. He has been ordained, as it were. He has been commissioned to carry out the task of building the church, to be Christ's ambassador in the world. And there is no greater glory than to see the kingdom of Christ advance. And Peter is in that select group. But he's not only commissioned, he is also sent forth. For that is what the word apostle means. It means one who is sent forth on a task. And Peter is sent out to fulfill the task that Jesus has given to him. Now, how can Peter do this? It is amazing if we think back about who Peter is at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of the book of Acts. At the end of the Gospels, he is not even willing to acknowledge that he knows Jesus let alone that he has studied under him, let alone that he is a part of that select group. We see him with foul language and cursing, saying, I do not know the man. Why? 
Because he's afraid. Because even though he's a Bible person, and even though he's an apostle, he's a lot like you and me. He's afraid of what others will say and do. He's afraid of the cost. And then as we see the book of Acts open up, Peter is huddling in a room with the other disciples, afraid to go out, afraid what will happen. And then something happens. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ is applied in a very special way to Peter and the others. As the Holy Spirit comes down and we see Peter transformed from a cowardly, fearful man into one who goes right out into the public square and says, we must obey God rather than man. The one who walks right in in front of the men that he feared for so long and he says, you with wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory. He is changed into a leader and a builder of the kingdom of God. This is the difference that Jesus made in Peter's life. The second thing that we see here this evening is that Peter has a message to bring, the same message that changed him. It is a message that makes a difference. Peter says, "...to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ." You see, Peter knows what it's like to be changed and he is talking to the church and saying, you have experienced the same change. It is equal as it were. How was Peter changed? Well, he was changed because he believed. He was changed because he confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord. He was changed because he was brought near to Christ. And that, after all, is the change that comes to each and every one of us that are followers of Jesus, isn't it? We're changed by the faith that we profess, by owning it for ourselves. We see this most often in covenant children as they come to profess the faith of their family for themselves. To say, this is mine, I will own it. We see it in the profession of faith that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ to say that we will follow Jesus no matter what the cost. And this kind of change is on some levels unbelievable to see what the Lord does in our lives. And Peter is describing this not just for those people receiving this letter, but for you as well as a part of the church. And I want you to notice that the change is something that has happened. Do you see that in verse 1? It is in the past tense. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. This is the beginning of the journey, but it is a journey that carries us through all of our days. This great transfer that occurs begins with faith. But there's also something that reminds us that God is the one who is involved in this message. That God is the one who is in control of this transfer that we receive by faith. Because you see, when Peter says, to those who have obtained a faith, he uses a term that is very powerful and unique. He's not just saying, you've got it. 
you grabbed it, you took hold of it. I think often that is what many in the church believe is the way that we come to faith in Christ, is that it's all up to us, it's all up to me, and if I don't do it right, then somehow I will fail. But you see, this word here for obtained could be better translated or more fully translated, obtained by lot. That is, to be chosen. It's actually the word that was used of someone who filled a governmental post that was filled by casting lots. They didn't get to pick whether they wanted to be the dog catcher or the trash sweeper or the man in charge of the water tower. No, they would say, we're going to pick a dog catcher, we're going to pick a trash sweeper, and we're going to pick someone in charge of the water tower, and we're going to cast lots. Oh, you, you're the dog catcher. Me? Yes. You better get some gloves. You, you're in charge of sweeping up the trash. And you, you better make sure the water is good and healthy. And you see, that is, after all, how our faith is exercised. It is our faith, it is a personal faith, but it is something that comes to us from the Lord Himself. He is the one who is at work, appointing and choosing. And this makes sense because this transfer occurs, this faith that gives us equal standing with Peter, it comes by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, God is not only the one who chooses. God is the one who is righteous. We are not. We obtain His righteousness because He brings it to us. Paul writes of this in Romans chapter 3. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. If you have come to the place in your life where you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the righteousness of God. You are right before Him. There is nothing more you need do to obtain this faith, to obtain this equal standing with an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is a work of God. But there is also not just a great transfer that occurs, there is a great blessing that comes to us in being united to Christ. For Peter picks this up in verse 2. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, you may understand that this is a a typical greeting in a letter. Paul will write and say, Grace and peace, or grace, mercy, and peace. But there is an interesting thing that's going on here in these New Testament letters. It was very typical, if you were a Greek writing a letter to someone, to begin with the word grace. It was almost the equivalent of hello. And yet at the same time, it was very typical if you were an Israelite, a Hebrew, to begin correspondence with someone with the word peace, shalom. And so you see here, Peter, like the other New Testament writers, takes both of these contexts that are ordinary, it seems, and brings them together in an extraordinary way. 
to describe not just a greeting, but to describe the blessings that come to us from the Lord God Himself. You see, for grace is God's favor to us. It is God's unmerited favor. There is nothing that you can do to earn grace. As a matter of fact, if you try and earn grace, Paul tells us, it becomes no longer grace. Work. We might even go so far as to say it's not unmerited favor, but it is demerited favor. It's not something we lack. It is something we effectively, negatively oppose. We deserve the opposite of grace. We deserve judgment. And this grace that comes to us, it is the gift that keeps on giving. Grace doesn't stop in the act of justification. It continues on as we are made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in sanctification. It even comes to us in the ways in which we serve the Lord. We speak about the spiritual gifts that God gives to His people, but actually those might even be better described as grace gifts. It is something that God does in our lives as we serve Him. And in the concept of peace is more than just merely a hello from a Hebrew. We understand that God's grace leads to a satisfaction of His wrath and that is the only way that we will have true peace. True peace with God. True peace with fellow man. True peace in ourselves. And this idea of peace is more than just the absence of war. It is a concept of wholeness of peace and rest. And how appropriate is this to think about when we think about the work of conversion and salvation. Rest that comes after restlessness. Comfort that comes after anxiety. Courage that comes after fear. You see, this is what the Lord does in the midst of His people. He gives them His grace and that grants them peace. And Peter says to us that he wishes that our peace and our grace would be multiplied. First and foremost, by knowing God more. The more that we know the Lord, the more that the grace and peace that He has given to us is multiplied. But there is a second and important way that we must never forget. And that is, as we get to know the Lord more, by understanding His Scriptures, our grace and peace is multiplied. But it is also multiplied as we take it to others. You see, the message is not just for us. We are given the message to be ambassadors and to bring it throughout the world. This is the difference that the message of grace makes. The third and final thing that we see this evening is that it is not just that we are changed. It is not just that the message is a powerful agent of change. It is that the Lord Himself is the difference maker. Do you see how rich Peter describes Jesus in just two verses? In this, Jesus is God. He is Lord. He is Christ. And He is Savior. He is all of these things. He is first and foremost the Divine One. He is God Himself. And we see this here 
Peter describes the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I will not bore you with Greek grammar. But let me suffice it to say that this is one of the examples in the textbook of a grammatical rule that lets us know that both of these nouns are describing the same person. For those of you interested, it's called the Granville Sharp Rule. And it's used hundreds of times in the Bible. When you see friend and brother, they're talking about the same thing. If it's in a certain structure, it's exactly like this. So what Peter is saying here is, he is not talking about God and Jesus. He's talking about the God Jesus. That Jesus is God. And this should not surprise us because He is the God and Savior. And the only way that we can be saved is if God would save us. Jesus is God. He's also described here at the end of verse 2 in similar divine terms. It is Jesus our Lord. This was, of course, the most controversial of terms used in the New Testament era. Amongst the Jews, it had the connotation of saying that Jesus was God Himself, and they were, of course, not happy with that. And for the Romans, they were upset because only, of course, Caesar was to be Lord. Who are you to say that there is another who is a sovereign and in control? And you see, Peter says, I am not ashamed of this. This is boldness from Peter. It is very likely that as he writes this, he is either under threat of imprisonment or imprisoned by the Roman authorities, and he is not ashamed to say that Jesus is my Lord. But for us, what great comfort is found in knowing that not only is Jesus the Divine One, not only is He God and Lord, but He is also the Delivering One. He is the One that delivers us from hell, from death and sin. He is Savior. He is the one who at the cost of His own blood purchased us. He paid the penalty that we deserve. He snatched us up out from death and the pangs of hell and has placed us in the midst of the family of God. This is who Jesus is. He has the power to do it. He has the will to do it. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is also, finally, Christ. You see, this brings all of this together because Jesus as the Christ is the Anointed One. He is the One chosen by the Lord God Himself, by His Father, to fulfill this task to keep the covenant, to right what has gone wrong. This is the task that was given to our Lord Jesus Christ. And He fulfilled it in all perfection. He is the one who makes all of the difference. As you think about yourself and the change that has come in your own life, if you think about the, the evil that you have put off and the good that you have put on, over a span of weeks and months and years and decades. 
Do you understand that that difference is made not by who you are and what you have done and by your habits, but by the message of the gospel that comes down to us, that gives us the grace and peace that comes from the Lord God Himself. And that it is enacted in us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see... If we think in these terms that every time we think how we have been changed, our focus goes to Jesus, where it should be. And then even as we face trials and difficulties, Peter is going to get into the false teachers that are seeking to drag them from the gospel. The problems in the church that come from errant doctrine. If we keep our minds and our eyes fixed On the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not go astray. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one that brings us grace and peace. Let's pray.